Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be up here to conclude our series on the seven marks of a disciple. We began this series in the beginning of August with a message on Scripture and the importance of Scripture in following the Lord by learning through the words that He had written down and provided us. And we continued on and we talked through community and the importance of us not having just a one-on-one relationship with God, but living within this group of people, within the broader church community. We moved on to our third message on prayer, and we talked about how we would build a conversational relationship with the Lord, how we could build the sort of relationship that Jesus modeled with his father, how we could continue to grow in learning how to listen for God's voice, not just to give him a list of petitions, not just to give him a list of things that we were looking for, but to truly interact with the creator of the universe. Then we spoke about worship and the importance of putting ourselves into a position of worship, placing ourselves under God's leadership, under God's control, but also acknowledging and, and welcoming that relationship with him and sitting in that proper relationship. The fifth of the messages that we talked about was that of service. And we recognize that Again, we live in a somewhat individualistic culture, but part of what we do as disciples, as followers of God, is to serve both one another and people outside the boundaries of this church, outside the boundaries of of any church, and that our goal in, in serving people is to share God's love with them. And we also spoke last week on mission. And what is it to begin to explain the joy that we receive from God? What is it that, that we can do to help other people gain access to this, the, the great truth that many of us have found in understanding who God is? And how do we build out our mission for this world? How do we help them recognize the truth that, that God loves us and that he came to save us and to build relationship with us? And now we are here in our final of the the marks of a disciple. And we're doing all of this within the context of our church's mission. And our church's mission is to be disciples who make disciples. And if we're going to be disciples that make disciples, it's somewhat intriguing that the seventh mark of being a disciple is discipleship. So part of being a disciple is making disciples. And what we'll find out this morning is that part of making disciples is being a disciple. There's a virtuous circle that comes in in terms of our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with each other, and how this will begin to multiply and replicate itself. If we think back to the original disciple maker in Jesus Christ himself, we have got an unending stream of disciples making disciples making disciples for thousands of years. There are people who followed this plan of multiplication to the point that when we look back at the first century and we read through non-Christian views of what happened to the first century church, their basic view of the disciple-making patterns within the Christian church is that it was impossible. There is no justification for how this small Galilean ministry has now become a world-impacting, most um, diverse community of of followers of any particular religious practice all through this process of making disciples and being disciples who make disciples. 
And so we're gonna spend some time this morning understanding a little bit of what it takes to make disciples, but I'd, I'd r- like to go back to the six things we've already talked about and put them in mind of three different types of relationships. And the three different types of relationships are, can be kind of summarized directionally. And what I mean by that is that one of those directions is a direction up. So this is the relationship that we have with God. And so when we look at reading scripture, when we talk about prayer, when we talk about worship, many of these are focused on that upward dimension in our faith where we are communicating with God in an up and down way. But that's not enough to truly be a disciple of God. We have to live within a church context and within a global world context. And so there's other directions as well. The second of those directions is the direction in. And this is the direction that can be included in areas of community and in some of the areas of service. And the the, the direction for community and service is within the church. And do we mean that within Dunwoody Community Church? Certainly. But we mean within the global church of God followers around the world throughout history that Part of us living in community is not becoming part of just this body of faith, but also recognizing the connections we have with other God followers who attend different different churches on a Sunday morning, who may have slightly different uh, ways that they embrace and pursue God, but that we recognize that we are part of that community and that we can serve within those contexts. Sometimes we, we will see those that go to serve other bodies of believers that have perhaps less wealth than this body of believers or less capabilities in certain areas. And so part of being a disciple inside the church is helping to build up the body of Christ. But then the third direction that we have is the direction out. And this is also included in service, but it also recognizes the idea of mission, is that if we were to live inside this broader church bubble, great, but part of being disciples who make disciples is sharing this good news with more people. It's serving them. It's, it's providing them the reason for the hope we have within ourselves so that they might come into that same sort of relationship with God. So that we, when we look outward, we recognize the heart that we have, the heart that God has for everyone to come to know God and to have a relationship with God. And so when we look within the context of those three directions, we have an up direction, we have an in direction, we have an out direction. But that's still not the full gamut of what God wants from disciples who make disciples. And that missing element is not directional, but it's just an idea that this also has to multiply so that we can do all of these things within ourselves But we also have to recognize we are living within this broader missional framework, within this broader discipleship framework that we need to replicate and multiply what God is doing in our hearts, in our communities, and in the world. And so what we're going to talk a lot about this morning is how do we make disciples? How is it that that we go about taking this being disciples thing, which I don't know about you guys, have you listened to the last six weeks? Does this sound any easy for anybody? Certainly doesn't sound easy to me. I look at this and I think, you know what? I can stick on the first six probably for another 50 years. I'd be good staying there. This, I don't know that I'm ready to multiply. I'm not ready necessarily to help make other disciples because I have some growing up to do. I have some maturing to do. And of course, 
That's not what God has called us to do. He has called us to be disciples who make disciples even when we're not being perfect disciples. And so now can I ask you to turn to the end of the gospel of Matthew, the last five verses, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, and we'll read our passage for this morning. If you've got uh, one of the pew Bibles in front of you, uh, this is on page 694. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is kind of that mic drop moment. I mean, this is the last five verses that we have in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' final opportunity, at least as recorded in this Gospel, to talk to his followers, to people who he has made his own disciples, and his encouragement to them is to go everywhere and make disciples. And what we know about this encouragement is that these 11 people listened and obeyed and did exactly what God told them to do. They went to the entire world that they could reach and they knew and they made disciples around the world in so much of a way, and I alluded to this earlier, that the Christian faith is the most diverse faith. It is the most multi-ethnic. It is the most multi-country. It has spread around the world. It has had pockets where the center of the religion has moved around the globe because his disciples followed his encouragement to go into the whole world and to make disciples. Now, one of the things you may not have noticed at the beginning of that passage was when the 11 were called to go with Jesus, they came with some doubt. Always been a phrase that puzzled me here, with some doubt. You've followed somebody who called you out. He said, listen, join me. I'll spend three years with you in a community, connecting with you, deepening a relationship, creating a a level of insight that no one else in history will have. And then I will, he was going to surprise them and he was crucified on the cross. But then every one of these people saw him resurrected. And we go through the stories of how they didn't necessarily believe what they saw, but, but this is after many of those stories. This is after Thomas had a chance to validate and put his, his finger in, in some of the wounds. This is after they met Jesus on the beach and, and ate fish with him. This is after they've had an extended 40-day period with him, and yet where was their head? There was still some doubt. And yet when they took this commission from God, what we now refer to as the Great Commission, history tells us all 11 of these men did exactly what Jesus encouraged them to do at tremendous cost to themselves personally. Most of them died a martyr's death. Most of them died to do exactly what Jesus was telling them to do. And we look at that and we think, wow, that is, that is amazing. What is it about what Jesus did to make disciples that impacted his disciples to that degree? And I think if we're to look in ourselves and try and evaluate what does it take for us to make disciples, there is no better person to look to as an example on how to make disciples than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ himself made disciples. And there have been people through the years who have studied through that. 
uh, recently there's been Dr. Robert Coleman, who um, has been on staff with, with multiple seminaries and, and Bible schools, has gone through and he spent a much of his um, adult life and his study going through what is it about how Jesus helped make disciples that we can observe acknowledge, and then start to replicate and internalize in our own lives. And he breaks it down into nine specific areas. The specific words he uses are not necessarily important, but I think the concepts of how Jesus reacted to his disciples are a wonderful example for us on how we can begin to make disciples. And the first phrase that he uses is one called incarnation, where it basically Jesus came and created God on earth. And he represented God in reality to his disciples. And we may think, okay, this is one area where we can't replicate Jesus. Jesus is not here. He's not in this room. He's not somebody that we can point to and indicate. But in so many ways, we can represent and we do represent Jesus to other people. Because if this is a book that we hand somebody to read and they don't have context and they don't know another Christian who is living this out or, or embracing it or embodying it in some way, they may not have the context they need to understand. It may be that God can reveal in those ways, but so many times it is through people that God is incarnated into our lives. We see people who love and behave in a different way and in a unique way, and we think, wow, what's going on there? And then we have an opportunity to learn what is it that they believe? Who is it that they believe? What is the God that they serve doing that is so different from the gods of this age or the, the, just the normal stuff that we deal with on our day-to-day -day lives? And it, one of the things that is somewhat challenging in this area, though, is if you look at how Christians incarnate God, unfortunately, we may not be, as a group, doing a particularly good job of that. There was a survey group, the Barna Group, that began about a dozen years ago to survey people outside the church as to what word did they associate with Christians? What were the top words that they came up with? Unfortunately, the number one word was the word judgmental. And there was a whole list of them, and there have been books written on this, but this survey has been rerun basically every two years for at least a decade, and we're still judgmental, unfortunately. Every year, year in, year out. But that's not what God called us to do. If we were to look into the, the book of John in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says to Peter, and this is right before, by the way, he predicts that Peter is going to betray him. He's encouraging Peter and he says to him and to all of the disciples, a new command I give you, that you love one another. Just like I've loved you, you must love one another. And this is how people will know you are my disciples, that you love one another. A lot of repetition there. Thinking there's a theme here. Again, this is towards the end of Jesus' life. This is the night that he was betrayed. This is the night before his crucifixion. And his encouragement to his disciples was a new command to love one another. And so much of incarnating who God is, is loving people. Is loving people like you, loving people not like you. Loving people you find it easy to love. Loving people you find it hard to love. Because what Jesus says for us is that they, we will, they will know that we are Jesus' disciples because we love one another. And this is a universal sort of love that is a challenge for us. But one way to make disciples is to love people. 
Let me, let me ask you, do you find it easier for someone to influence you if they hate you or if they love you? I do not recall any person that I have had an adversarial relationship with that I have sought advice. Hey, listen, I know you hate me, but I, I was wondering, I'm having some, some challenges with, with, no. In fact, quite the reverse. They could give me fully sound Excellent advice born out, could be backed in scripture, could be backed out of life experience. We got science behind it. We got sociology behind it. Because they're the one giving me advice, I'm rejecting it. And unfortunately, that's a little human. But if we don't begin with a concept of a relationship and we don't begin with love, it's going to be very hard to make a disciple because nobody's going to listen. But the second element of how Jesus interacted with his disciples that was that was different was, first of all, we know that at his peak, he had tens of thousands of people who would come and hear him speak. And we don't actually know how many of those people would have called him rabbi or would have looked to him as their, their uh, spiritual leader, but we know it was well into the hundreds for a period of time of people would have said, you know, Jesus is the person that I look to as an authority. And yet we don't see Jesus and the 342 disciples or the 342 apostles. We know about Jesus and the 12 apostles. So how did we get from 348 or whatever the number was, 2,602, down to 12? Well, there was a degree to which Jesus selected those 12 people and encouraged them to follow him. So there is a degree that if we want to make disciples, we have to choose who we are going to weigh in with. Who is it that we're going to build a relationship with? Who is it that we're going to seek to help make disciples? And we think, well, no, I, want to, I would love to influence everybody. I would love for lots of people to benefit. Well, of course. But we can't invest our lives, invest the way we need to, to in a disciple-making way with hundreds of people. You can't connect with them deeply enough because there's not enough time to have that depth of connection with that group of people. We know that, by the way, that in that selectivity, not everybody Jesus encouraged to follow him took him up on the offer. He invited the rich young ruler. Hey, Sell all you have, give to the poor. Come, follow me. What did he say to the first two disciples he called? Come, follow me. Some chose to, some didn't choose to. So as we select or we try and figure out who is it that we're going to seek to disciple, some people that we see that God has put in our way, they may be Christians, they not, may not be Christians, but we feel like God has placed them in our lives so that we can start to do disciple making with them. And their reaction is, no thanks. Well, that happened to Jesus too. But there is a degree to which we need to pray through that an understanding of who are the people that God has placed in our lives that we can lean into. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're the one who's being called and basically saying, okay, gosh, who is it that I can say, gosh, I would love for you to disciple me. Now, when we look in this church, all of us have sat under the teaching of the same senior pastor, Jeff. He has not chosen to disciple everybody in this room at the same level. But I want to talk a little bit about one discipleship relationship we, that he has, and that was with a 35-year-old younger version of me. I grew up in this church in my early teens for reasons unknown to me, and I probably unknown to Jeff. Jeff decided to disciple me. And Jeff continues to be the, the sort of person who, who, who speaks truth into your life in a loving way, and I remember him coming into my life and spending time with me and communicating with me and talking and engaging. And I think that's the next mark of a disciple is being invested and involved in someone's life. Now, I know my 13-year-old self. 
I am pretty sure Jeff probably didn't speak for six months of those interactions. He just came in and listened and I just talked and talked and talked for two hours and then we said goodbye and I went home. And yet over time, he got to know me, we became friends, we had a connection there. And then he was able to take that discipleship relationship to the next level. And part of that was by helping me recognize the truth and speaking truth into my life. And I'm sure he didn't say it quite this bluntly, but I have a distinct memory of him basically saying, you are um, an adolescent combination of arrogance and insecurity. (laughs) And if you want to impact the world for God, that's not going to work. Now, I'm sure that this came out slowly over time and was given with love and so forth, but here I am 35 years old, 35 years later, excuse me, and I'm still trying to outgrow the adolescent combination of arrogance and insecurity. I am proud to say I am no longer an adolescent. So we're still working on the other two. (laughs) But there is a degree to which that if you are trying to disciple someone, you need to speak truth into their lives and help them recognize their need to obey God. Because at the end of the day, investing in the life of somebody else and encouraging them to know God better is important. It is foundational. But obeying God is the mark of a disciple. And if you want to make disciples, calling out people's blind spots, helping them recognize their own weaknesses, those sorts of elements are part of what does it take to help make a disciple. But it has to be mirrored with something else, which is that you actually have to demonstrate that behavior yourself in your own life. You have to be that person who calls out a person to obedience and they can see your own obedience. See, one of the challenges of being called out for being arrogant and insecure was that I looked at Jeff, and this was a person who was smarter than me, who was wiser than me, who was more spiritually mature and more capable than somebody I looked up to. So it was a lot harder for me to say, well, you, shoot, you're, I mean, drat. Okay, fine. You know, when you're taking that advice from somebody and they look like a hypocrite and they're calling you to an obedience that they can't live themselves, it's going to be a harder message. It's going to be a whole lot harder to internalize that and represent that in a maturing and growing way. And so next, that element is you do have to demonstrate what does it look like to follow God? And you're you're showing that to them. And I think as as we start to evaluate what does that mean in our hearts? What does that mean in our lives? I think that becomes a challenge. It's like, well, we've been looking back. We've got these six other area marks of a disciple. If I've got to exemplify all of those, I can't exemplify all of those in a way to somebody else. Well, then I think we need to acknowledge our own weaknesses and acknowledge with truth our failings and so forth. There is a degree of transparency. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's where I am. There's a gap. I recognize the gap. Here's what I'm doing. And, and some of that discipleship is recognizing that our goal here is not behavioral perfection. Our goal here is a relationship with our creator. And if we set the goal as a relationship with our creator and we believe that the criteria for doing that are behavioral perfection, then we've got a challenge and we're not truly becoming disciples of God because we know that we are fallen. God knows that we are fallen. He has taken care of that. He has addressed that. Now, if we have put our hearts and minds into a position where we are willing to obey him, that is what he is seeking. He's not necessarily seeking obedience 100% of the time, although I'm sure that would be his preference. What he is seeking is, do we really put ourselves under God's authority and leadership? Through survey after survey through the last decades, the United States has been identified as the most individualistic country in the world. 
now as the most recent round of these surveys came in during COVID, we have now achieved the most individualistic society in the history of the world. That's what we live in. That is the culture in which we live. And so part of what we need to recognize is that if you're in a discipling capacity, you need to be able to hear the scripture saying, you have heard it said this individualistic society, not only is humankind the measure of all things, but I taught all be in the measure of all things in my life and you are the measure of all things in your life. But scripture says, no, no, no. God is the measure of all things. He is the definer of things. And so what we need to do is find a way to speak into people's lives the truth that what God has said may or may not match what we want to be true or even what we think is acceptable. And I think this is one of our challenges that we have in following God is do we put God under our control or do we put ourselves under God's control? And that can be very, very challenging because we are in this individualistic world. We are being bombarded. The average person spends 145 minutes per day on social media being exposed to, I would at least say a majority of the messages are embracing our current zeitgeist, the current message of the age, which is that it's all about you and it's all about me, but it's not about us. And it's certainly not necessarily about God. And so I think we need to recognize that as we're seeking to disciple someone, we need to be able to say, you've heard it said, but Jesus says. There's a lot of ways in which scripture does not match what we consider to be what we want or what our culture says is right. And I think part of discipling is helping people recognize that we need to follow what God says and not necessarily follow our hearts or our heads independently. And that we need to build a deeper relationship there. We need to build a deeper understanding. The next level of making disciples is if you're in a discipleship relationship, it's interesting because discipleship relationships can be things where there is a a discipler and a a disciple, or they can be in in a situation where there's almost mutual discipleship going on. Let's say you've got a passion for service and I've got a passion for scripture and I can really learn and be discipled from you on how to serve and how to love and how to exhibit that. And you can learn from me a way that scripture can impact your life in this way or that way or the other way. There can be mutual discipleship that goes on. But in an area where you are the one doing the discipling, one of the things that is helpful in making disciples is the idea of encouraging people to take those steps and to take steps forward and, and giving them opportunities they may or may not think they are ready for and to encourage that. And then after encouraging that, to watch and to be kind of in a supervisory thing and see how did it go? Wow, here's an area that, that was spectacular and you didn't think that God was gonna be with you and he was and praise God for that. Or wow, that um, could have gone better. But let's encourage, let's learn what we have to do. And so part of that process of making disciples is encouraging people to take those next steps and to grow and to act. Because I don't know about you, what I I get that dopamine hit every time I learn something. Because it's easy to do that, that acknowledgement of a new truth. I have learned something, wonderful. Now do something. Oh, but that's hard. It takes more work and I'm probably not going to be perfect the first time. Usually when I think I understand something new, I think I've understood it perfectly. And then when I try and act it out, I realize, oh, mm -mm, maybe not. So that's part of what making disciples is, is recognizing that disciples have to live in this world and we have to live out what we're learning to learn more. 
And that's hard. I don't know about you. I'd love it if I could basically surround myself with experts and then point at the expert that I needed whenever that expert was needed. That's not what God asks us to be. If we have seven marks of being a disciple, he's not giving, this is not multiple choice. He wants you to embrace all seven aspects of being a disciple, not, you know what, I'm, I'm good on the scripture and I love the worship, I'm not down with mission, so yeah, we're good. No, he's saying become a disciple who makes disciples is embracing all of this, all of these aspects. And then there's also an encouragement that over a period of time in those discipleship relationships, they themselves need to be able to replicate. They themselves need to be able to continue to be passed on. And as we grow and we mature and we, our understanding of certain areas continues to evolve, that we can help and encourage those who may be a step or two behind us and, and encourage them in the same way we were encouraged. And that replication and that, and that process of helping other disciples learn more and become better disciples is part of what keeps this whole thing going. But I think the final element of making disciples is to recognize, again, it is not about the person who is making the disciple or the person who is becoming the disciple. We need the Holy Spirit's involvement in this entire process from step one to step in so that we're asking the Holy Spirit to help transform our lives to be more like Christ. We're asking him to use our, um, the person who is discipling us in our lives. We are asking him to use us in the person we are discipling's life. But ultimately, we want him to do the changing because he's the one who's going to conform them to be more like God. The best we can do is to conform or encourage people to be more like our understanding of God. But we know that we only see through a glass darkly, but one day we will see clearly. The Holy Spirit sees clearly now. So we need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is part of this process and that we never turn this into a set of checklists or a program or a methodical set of rules or things that we follow. What we are seeking to do is to build on a basis of love through a series of relationships, a deepening understanding of who God is and who he is transforming us to be so that we can help other people learn these truths that we have uncovered, that we can continue to mature in our own paths and we can bring other folks along behind us. Paul talks about what happens in certain churches when this doesn't take place. And he uses the example of milk and meat as foodstuffs. And he basically says, when you're young, you drink milk. When you mature, you are able to consume meat. But there are people who don't put themselves on a discipleship journey. And, or perhaps the more mature people are not encouraging others and helping make disciples on a discipleship journey. And so what happens is a lot of times people stay where they start. They have an understanding of who God is. They have saving faith, but they're not maturing and they're not growing. Maybe they're not reading scripture. Maybe they're not praying. Maybe they're, they're having um, a purely emotional aspect of, of, of a relationship. Maybe they're having a, person, a purely intellectual aspect of their relationship with God. But what they're doing is not continuing to step and strive forward. Well, that's not what God has asked us to do. And that's not what this church's mission is. Because if the church's mission is to be disciples who make disciples, that means we all recognize that we are on a journey. It means we all recognize that we have ways to go and a ways to help. And that if we want to be part of that process, we pray and encourage God um, to use us in the ways that we, he can use us. And then we leave the outcome in his hands. And I think if that's the way we are disciples who make disciples, then that's a way in which we can emulate what Jesus did with his disciples. Because what he did was he loved them. 
He chose to spend time with them. He invested three years of his life with them. He gave them truth. He called them out to higher levels of obedience than they were following before. He put up with um, disciples who, who we shake our heads at because of their failings. Because it wasn't perfection that was there. It was all about building those relationships. And then he gave them this great commission in the final verses of Matthew, when he basically said, okay, I have spoken truth into your lives. I have discipled you. Now it's your turn. Go into the whole world and make disciples. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we know the names of those 11 people he asked to go into the whole world. And the whole world has been impacted by those 11 people and their disciples and their disciples and their disciples. I don't know about you, I'm encouraged that one day there will be people who will be part of the same group that I was impacted by and continued to impact. We want to be part of God's story written out in the lives and the hearts of men and women through history. We want to be part of that unbroken stream of disciples who make disciples. And so my encouragement is as you try and figure out what does it mean to be a disciple and make a disciple, I think we can take one of two responses to this. I think we can feel overwhelmed or maybe um, guilty. We look at this and we think, oh gosh, I'm not there yet. Well, here's a pro tip. None of us are there yet, okay? Or we can be encouraged and say, this is who God is able to transform people to be. Look at the impact he has had where literally billions of people have heard truth through the discipleship efforts of a bunch of failed people who have never lived up to their own expectations of what God wanted for them. But God, with his Holy Spirit, worked through these fallen vessels to transform this entire world, to impact this world positively, to give us an opportunity to know our creator, to give us an opportunity to know our savior. So the challenge is this. If you, we wanna be disciples who make disciples, look in both directions. Look for somebody who could disciple you. Look at somebody you admire. Look at somebody who is a few steps further down the road. And perhaps if God puts them on your heart, talk to them. Start to build that relationship. As well, look for other people who are going through perhaps things you have gone through, things you have matured through, things that you now understand that you didn't understand as well when you were in their situation. And if God is putting them in your life and God is putting them in your heart, my encouragement is again to begin to build relationship. Start with that foundation of love. Make sure that they are loved. Spend time, invest that time. Don't be individualistic. Recognize we are living in this whole dynamic where we have an upwards relationship with God. We live within a body of Christ. We live and look out at a world that desperately needs to know him well. And if we can bring all of this together and we can recognize that God is continuing to mature us and continuing to perfect us, then we can do exactly what our mission is. And we can be disciples who make disciples. And we can be part of what God is doing, not just in this time and place, but throughout the entire world, throughout all of time. And we can be part of how he is transforming the world. And we can be part of fulfilling that great commission where the whole world is impacted by God, by Jesus's disciples and their disciples. So tonight or today, this morning, we're, we're going to conclude uh, with communion as we always do. We've got three stations here. There is gluten-free here on the right. And I think it was very helpful, Jeff, last week when you recognized that this one is the one that always got extra people because last week it didn't. So, um, and if you, if you don't uh, want to 
use a shared um, set of, of the elements, there is a table in the back that has ones for you individually. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go, uh, I'd like you, if we can all get the elements and come back together, hold them together, and then we'll, we will um, pray and take them together.